everyone, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Localized Flooding Green. <laughs> Uh-oh, it sounds like there's a news story coming up. I'll have to hear about this one. It's probably got some great survival stuff in it, too. I can see you're, you're broadcasting from a rowboat right now. <laughs> dedicated. Dedicated. Uh, listen, everyone, this is uh, Modern Combat and Survival Friday Reload Broadcast, and uh, this is a, uh, it's been a while since we've done this. I've been traveling quite a bit, but this is our opportunity at the end of the week to go over the, the week's blog post or things that we've covered maybe on Facebook or, and just some tips that both Buck and I have picked up along the way that we want to share with you as well. So um, just kind of the down and dirty, and I give you some of the tips that uh, just kind of quick and quick and let's go with them. So uh, let's go ahead and start, Buck, with the, um, well, first of all, why are you, what's with the localized flooding thing? <laughs> well, you may know I live behind enemy lines, behind the Iron Curtain of New York State. And here we had one of the worst winters that we've had. I don't know ever since the dawn of time. I know my par- my parents live out kind of your way. They're they're still in like uh, upstate New York, and I I talked to her on on Sunday, and it was like, yeah, we still have over two feet of snow in the front yard. Yes, <laughs> fortunately, thank goodness, the constant ten degree weather finally broke. But we had it was a couple of months where the temperature never dipped above freezing. And as the snow built up and ice built up on everybody's roofs and stuff, buildings started to collapse. Roofs started to cave in. The weight of the water that was melting and being held back by ice dams was doing significant damage. I have family members who had, you know, roof damage. It helps to have a roofer in the family, but even that is only a stopgap measure at best when everyone you know is having problems. So, once all the snow finally started to melt because the temperatures finally got above 30, uh, well, then everything turned into a swamp. Yeah. So, you know, this, I was looking forward to spring. I was looking forward to, you know, you, you picture those, pers- those first picturesque buds of green coming up out of the ground. No, it's a swampy brown mess out there. And there's still giant piles of rock-hard distilled ice where the snow was, uh, which has, I've, I've damaged my car twice, scraping giant mounds of, of rock-hard ice snow bank. So it's just been awful. I'm so sick of weather, yeah. and I'm looking forward to getting out to the beach for the first time this summer and just trying to make it all go away. So Yeah, in New York, that's been, one weekend. That's like one weekend in August. Right. After, yeah. No, so I'm, I'm, glad- so, I'm so glad to live in Texas, I'll tell you. <laughs> For many reasons, but yeah, I mean, I, I, having grown up in the north and being in the 10th Mountain Division and, and like we, all of our field operations are mostly in like Arctic weather, it seems. Um, I'm so glad to have, uh, moved finally back to, uh, back to Texas. But, but you know, here's, here's what's interesting to me. Um, cause like you said, I mean, more, I mean, look, you live in an area, you're not really worried about hurricanes, right? I mean, you right. know, we don't have that. Really. Yeah, you don't worry about tornadoes. You don't worry, really worry about forest fires. I mean, I'm from upstate New York, also, and you know, so those things. So we, when we talk about survival, we talk about all these different things that can happen, and and I think a large, I think a large number of people just feel like, well, that doesn't really apply to me. You know, you talk about we we talked about survival lessons from like uh, the Moore, Oklahoma tornado, or, or you know, things like, or we talk about Katrina flooding. Well. You know, I don't live in a major city on the coast with dams, you know, holding back the the, the waters and 
things like that. So, I, again, one of the biggest enemies of, of preparedness is this procrastination, like, well, nothing bad will ever happen. And we see this, we see this now where people who aren't worried about flooding from hurricanes, all of a sudden there's a massive snow that happens and you do have flooding. I mean, even the snow itself, we talked about Kentucky where, you know, people were on the road for, I think it was like 18 to 24 hours. They were stuck on the highway because of this massive ice storm that came in and people did not have, um, they did not have food. They did not have shelter. You know, they were stuck in their cars and, you know, procrastination really is an enemy. And so I think people really need to break out of that. It won't happen to me mode. I don't have to worry about flooding. I don't live in a floodplain until 13 feet of snow melts. And here I am. Yeah. That there was a tragic, tragic story. Uh, the Western New York area got like seven feet of snow early on in the season. And there was a guy who, and we talked about this actually on the podcast, who called for help because he was stuck. And the authorities who had closed the roads actually turned away the tow truck that might have come saved him. And that man actually died. Oh, man. It was, it was terribly sad because he had a family and, you know, just, just awful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sucks. That sucks being him. So, so yeah, so it's uh, interesting as I as I walk this blighted post-apocalyptic wasteland that is <laughs> the state that I've always lived in, and I've been seeing you know the just the murky, nasty waters. It made me think of the uh, post we did this week on the survival water filter myth. Uh, the post is called "Is that a tampon in your mouth?" And it's all about a. It seems like there's no televised survival personality who doesn't have some kind of issue. It's like every time you hear about those guys from that one survival program where there's two of them, they're like, I don't know, they, they both fake their military service and the one guy's crazy and the other guy is insane and I, I don't know what to make of it, but there, there was an article from some television show. Uh, well, it, it, it reminds me, that, that's just interesting. So It reminds me of um, how like when there's when there's a trend going or when there's something that's buzzworthy, like survival's all you know has been all the rage now in reality shows. It's been, it, which has helped you know get the word out that people need to be prepared and everything. But you know it's television, it's media, it's entertainment. So they go out looking for, you know, what can we do now? I don't know. Let's make them naked and see if they can survive. You know, or let's you know, it's like what yeah. what can we do? Let, let's see if Bruce Jenner can survive. I don't know. So it's you know. <sighs> And unfortunately, and we saw that we see this in, I won't bring up the name because, uh, we actually, some of their stuff is good, but they've done DVDs and things like in, in, um, self-defense. And so it seemed like all the advertising was, I thought I knew how to kill a man until I met Jim Bob, you know, Jones, um, who's been hiding secretly in his, you know, his three bedroom, two and a half bad house in downstate, you know, Iowa, who was a former, you know, who has trained Navy SEALs, which really means that his his brother-in-law twice removed or whatever, you know, tried out for the Navy SEALs and they practiced in his basement one time. You know, it's like... Yeah, they all trained Navy SEALs, every yeah. last one of them. <laughs> oh, exactly. So it's that same kind of thing with the survival. I mean, it's, um, you know, I've always been a fan, my, my son's, favorite TV personality is Les Stroud and Les Les makes no 
like he doesn't hold anything back. I mean, he'll he'll call people out and say, you know, I'm not one of those guys that goes out there, films how to survive by eating worms, and then when the camera cuts off, I go back to my beer and pizza, you know, on the on the sidelines. So I know what you're saying. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there because I am I do like genuine stuff, and there's good, you know, there might be good information and stuff, but it's good when you're getting it from the genuine article. And I know this one, yeah. is, this post was from um, was from Creek Stewart, and there's some good there's some good tips in where I got this from. But I just I thought I feel like sometimes they the entertainment factor gets thrown in too much, and then somebody needs to put a dose of reality in it. So anyway, yeah, yeah, and that's one of the reasons this interested me so much. So the article from from Creek Stewart was about how to make an improvised life straw type water filter out of a tampon. And basically, you tear off a bit of the tampon's cotton and stuff it in the plastic housing, um, leave a little bit of the cotton sticking up out of the plastic housing pieces to hold together a little tighter. And then you just, you know, stick your face down in that murky water and drink away and you're good to go. The problem is, there were some uh, uh, comments on the, the Facebook page to this effect over the past week, too. Tampons aren't a water purifier that will keep you from getting sick. They're, they're not going to stop bacteria or parasites or and the other stuff in the water. It's a physical filter. It'll help take out, you know, like like dirt and large particles of, of stuff, but it doesn't stop microorganisms, which is the thing. You know, when, when you're drinking survival water, you're not worried that it might be a little dirty. You're worried that it's going to make you horribly sick. Um, so basically the, point, the post on the MCS points out, you can get a life straw really cheap. It's not hard to buy a survival filter. And I was in the Walmart the other day. Depending on the Walmart you're in, most Walmarts have sort of gotten the, the clue that their customers will buy survival gear if it's there. So I've seen everything from small sections where they at least have a survival filter or some water purifier tabs to much more large sections where they've got those buckets of freeze-dried survival food and stuff that you can buy. It seems like everybody offers a bucket. Everyone from National Geographic to Joe Bob's survival food, you can find it depending on where you go. Um, I don't understand why anyone would be like, well, I carry some tampons to improvise a water filter. Like, you wouldn't normally be carrying those. Like, yes, if you're a woman who has those in your bug-out bag, they're in there. But for the vast majority of, of preppers and survivalists, if you could take the time to put some tampons in your, your equipment, <laughs> why wouldn't you put a survival? Like, like, well, I wanted the extra challenge of improvising a survival straw from feminine hygiene products. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, when it comes to storing away extra, whether it's Life Straw or some other brand of, of portable water filter, that stuff's really valuable. It's not just a barterable item. It's something that keeps you alive. You know, and the, the nice thing about survival straws, unlike other methods of water purification, which we cover extensively in a lot of our survival products, uh, you, you don't have to do anything. You just use the straw. Uh, there's no, I have to have a container. I have to put in tablets to wait for the certain quantity of water to, to be okay. I have to boil it. There's, there's nothing. You just use the straw. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's just, it struck me as, as interesting, and, and the picture of this dude just, you know, leaning down and drinking stream water through his tampon filters struck me as particularly ridiculous because it's like, look, there's no part of this that makes any sense because it's, it's not like he's improvising a physical filter from stuff that just happened to be out in the woods or that you and I would always be carrying with us. 
He's got an item that would be unusual for a guy to be carrying, and he's using it for a purpose that he's not really good at. Yeah. So, so I, I I don't like to be overly negative, but I enjoy posts like that that point out when something doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of other – I mean, there's other other uses for Tampa. Actually, we're going to get into that in just a second, but this isn't one of them. Uh, yeah. The next post we're going to go over is is called Weird Millwall Improvised Survival Weapon Really Works. And this was an experiment I did based upon um, – Millwall was, I guess, in South London back in the 60s and 70s, there was a football team, otherwise known here as a soccer team, that were the Lions of Millwall, which I guess is like a South London town, very raucous. I mean, anybody that's ever ever been to like London or been to a football game there knows that people are very devout about their teams, and when they don't win or a bad call happens, it could just all of a sudden turn into a, a bloody riot. And so there were always, you know, the police would be there and they would screen people on the way in, and in order to keep weapons out off the field, things like that. So. They would bring in these, uh, basically a newspaper folded up under their arm, and they learned that if a, if a riot broke out, it was always better to have a weapon. And so what they would do is just roll up very tightly the newspaper lengthwise and then fold it over and then just whack people with it. Because the tighter you get it, you know, it makes about, with a regular-sized newspaper, it makes about a, like a foot-long billy club, essentially. And so they would use this as a weapon. So I decided to do some playing around with it. And what I did was I first wet the, wet the newspaper down, uh, to make it, uh, roll a little bit tighter and add some, some, uh, some weight to the actual weapon and, uh, folded it over. And I found that, you know, I could tape that up and I could make a pretty good billy club just like that. But by when I bend it, when I bend it in half, instead of what I did, I just looked outside and within 45 seconds, I found this a rock that had kind of a little bit of a curvature in the middle of it. Uh, it didn't have to be, doesn't have to be that big. It can even be a round rock. It really doesn't matter. But all I did was put that in between the, uh, when I folded it in half, I put it at the very, like the, the fold part. So I wrapped the, the newspaper around it and then just took a little bit of duct tape and just duct taped the whole thing up, leaving the, uh, leaving the ends of the rock exposed on the left and right side and then taping everything out so it was really sturdy on it i'll tell you i was really surprised this at this club i came up with or an improvised hammer or axe or whatever but um it's the because you because you duct tape it up it holds the water inside so it's not really drying that well inside so it, it maintains the weight it's weighted at the end and uh this thing is a serious improvised weapon that can be done in just literally a matter of just a, a minute or two. Uh one of the the uh, the escape and evasion course that I took with um um uh, with Kevin Reeve, the Urban Escape and Evasion program, which is an amazing program by the way. You know, one of the things you have to do is you have to learn to improvise weapons when you have pretty much basically nothing or you have a small cache. So we learned about um, you know, caching in urban, you know, pre-staging caches wherever you might be, things like that. And one of the things I put in mind was duct tape. This is something you can do with a newspaper you find in a tr in a trash can, uh, wet it down, roll it up, find a rock, and with just a little bit of duct tape, that's all you need to make a formidable weapon that you can carry around with you to help defend yourself. So uh, really, really simple, and I just thought I would post the how-to. There's a 
this shows each each stage on the uh, blog that you can see how to do it yourself. I like any solution that involves applying duct tape to the problem. <laughs> right. It just appeals to the guy in me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, like just using, post- I like just using duct tape. You just go up, just slap <laughs> it on their chest hairs and rip it off. <laughs> wow, that opens up so many questions. Yeah. Uh, the other post that I liked this week was called was a, basically our recap of MCS Podcast 33, Street Ground Fighting with Damian Ross. I, I love anything to do with Damien's program because, you know, Damien's program is essentially derived from, or he is a student and uh, sort of a continuation of Carl Sestari's work. And the late Carl Sestari was just one of the most highly regarded combatives instructors in the market. It was such a terrible shame that he passed away. Amen. Um, you know, there are sometimes, there are videos that I've seen online where, you know, Carl and Damien, who at the time is his training partner, are doing things like he has had to condition yourself by hitting yourself with an iron pipe. <laughs> and it's just so like you compare that to some of the Nancy Pam's ridiculous nonsense on YouTube, you know, where people are doing these ridiculous kicks that probably wouldn't work or, you know, trying to impress you with how tough they are. And it's clear that they're, they're really just more worried that you think that they're tough. You know, some of these personalities. And then here's Carl. He's like, so you take the pipe and you hit yourself with it. And that's how you know you're not a pansy. And he's got like, and he's got a finger missing at the same time. So it's like this guy's. It's like his. He must have been chewed up and spit out of some machinery somewhere. This combat machinery. But I, I've always loved Carl's work. And 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 you're right, Damien. Damien. Basically, they were synonymous. And um, that's why I've always been a big fan of Damien's work and and Carl's work. And uh, my interview with him on on ground fighting, which is I think you know often. Mamby Pambized, if I can use that. I think you just made that word up off of yours. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, we get so, so deeply embedded in these mixed martial arts strategies, you know, because it's become so, in fact, getting ready to do a post, I saw a video of, um, a mixed martial arts guy on the news who was teaching basically to this small woman self-defense tactics if she were ever oh, attacked. Yes. That that clip has been, it, I don't know if you'd call it viral, but that's been one of those clips that everyone sees within the past week because it's been making the rounds. Yeah. And it's one of the worst self-defense clips I've ever seen. Yeah. It's just horrifying. And you, you watch it and your jaw hits the desk and you're like, you're doing what? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, in fact, go ahead. So don't worry about, we're going to actually do a post on that. I'm going to, I'm going to show the video and, I know it's going to get a lot of comments because there's so much to comment on, but it just it just goes to show the disconnect between what some people see as ground fighting or fighting in general, you know, as as being able to be practical self-defense strategies. And uh, anyway, listen to that podcast because Damien goes over some really great stuff when it comes to, you know, really no-nonsense BS about how to survive a real ground attack. So some really good stuff there. Yeah, he was he was featured in Penn and Teller did an infamous episode of their bullshit program on. I don't mean that Penn and Teller's program is bullshit. I mean that's the yeah, name. That's the name of the program. And uh, these things are tailored to make a point and to be funny. But they like they interviewed some Tai Chi specialist, and then they had some guy who was you know talking about how well all martial arts is stupid and blah blah blah. And then then there was Damien, and they showed a clip of him just 
eating the crap out of something. And, and I think it was Penn. He's like, holy crap. And they just, they played their astonished reaction at Damien's savagery for humor throughout the clip. But he was the only one of the instructors who came across as, yeah, I might like to learn from him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was great exposure. I think he was probably pretty happy about it. But he was also, like I said, the only one who looked like his stuff could help you defend yourself. So. Yeah, I, you know, it's a comedy routine, it's a comedy routine and, and it, and they make fun of what he's doing, but they're making fun of it because of the savagery of it, you know, which yeah, is like exactly, they, they yeah. couldn't actually criticize it because they were afraid he'd beat the crap out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Um, okay, uh, oh, and, uh, just to give a plug for Damien, it's, um, streetdefensetraining.com is, is Damien's website and check out more of his stuff there too. Um, okay, and the last one that we did uh, for this week was, uh, last post was three more weird wilderness survival fire starting hacks. So, you know, I, I always, um, I'm not really, like wilderness survival isn't, isn't something I'm really great at, so I'm always looking for things to do. In fact, uh, I was just recently out in Utah and was um, one of the TV reality uh, hosts. I was, I was kind of hanging out with him at this special gathering that we had. It was an informal gathering, but he was showing everybody how to make a, a fire with a bow and drill. And it is not easy. In fact, we started out with, um, I want to say probably 13 or 14 people giving it a try. And uh, everybody left without being able to do it. Even given, like, handed all of the equipment to do it. Just the technique of actually using a bow and drill is was really, really hard. Um, I was the last man standing when it came to really to work in this thing. And I, it's not something I've perfected. It is really, really difficult, even given all of the materials that you need right there. Then you got to go out and find the stuff. That's a whole other thing. So anything that you could do to make fire starting better or easier, I mean, is going to, is going to be, um, really, really valuable in a survival situation. Uh, my son were you were you able to start the fire i I was able to get a a smoke going. I was not able to get to a fire and i've I've tried it in the past and I gave up mostly like everybody else did but um I was the only one that was able to to at least get like a spark going um It's really difficult and it is something that you're not you know if you watch the castaway uh, you know movie with Tom Hanks and he's like rubbing away at two sticks forever and ever and ever, and he finally figures it out, and he's so excited to get that. That's the photo that we're using on the blog. He's so excited. It's like, ah, fire. It's because he worked so fucking hard for that damn fire, you know? <laughs> and it's it really is it really is tough. So one of the things we talk about, and this is what it really came down to, like it's I can make a bow and a drill. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to do that. If you know the right way to do it, you can get the heat going. The thing is, is that, it, it creates a coal, basically. So when you use a bow and drill, just as an example, it creates this little tiny coal that you then have to turn into flame. And the way that you do that is with super combustible timber. The more combustible that tinder is, the the, the easier it's going to be to transition from friction to, you know, friction to flame. And so we go over a few of them here. Um, so these are some more... And this is all about Tinder, basically. So uh, the hack number one are, where we go, tampons. Uh, don't hold this in your mouth when you give this a try. But the, uh, basically, if you, the co- you have to have cotton, 
You're looking for cotton uh, tampons, but if you come across those or you carry them because you thought they were a good water filter, you can pull out a little bit of the cotton out of it and use it as tinder. So same concept as like lint that you get from the, the fire, you know, your, from your, your dryer, things like that. So uh, just make sure that it is plain cotton uh, that's being used in the tampon. It'll say that on the uh, tampon box. The next why, one is why do you need to make sure it's plain cotton? What's what's bad? Well, some of the other you know more advanced wicking materials, and I'm not a tampon expert by any means, but <laughs> some of the other wicking materials that they might use might um, use like a some sort of a synthetic fiber or something like that that might melt rather than actually burn as tinder. So what you're looking for is to see cotton on the actual you know tampons. So. Okay. Um, hack number two is a pencil sharpener. Uh, anybody, you know, when you when you sharpen a pencil, all those really really fine wooden shavings are, you know, they're so thin that they burn really quickly. And so what you can do is you just find some twigs that are. I mean, you're going to be using twigs anyway for like the bigger tinder, but you take some of those that are about pencil size and you can put this inside of a pencil sharpener and create very very easily create these these filings uh it's not you know there you can shave something off with a knife but these are going to be even finer and so that's what really what you're looking for that's what i learned the most from that bow and drill thing was that the more combustible that material is the much easier it's going to be to get a flame this is about you know this is really really combustible stuff so um i recommend those tiny you know those little ones that you used to find in little like pencil uh bags, you know, that you you would have for kids for school. Yeah, the the ones that are it's just a little like it's about an inch. Yeah, long it's about an inch by an inch or something thick. like that. Yeah. But but the plastic ones, I wouldn't I would recommend finding a metal one. You can find those if you go to like a, a, a um what do you call it? Like a an office supply store or something like that. That's what you're looking for. So it's better to have have one of those. They are also uh, I think somebody else gave us this tip for um our our reader tips in MCS magazine, but you can actually use them also for making like spear points. So if you, you know, or for arrows, you know, things like that. So if you're, you know, fishing with arrows or something like that, you can take a, a straight twig and just basically use that pencil sharpener to make a, a really sharp point on the end of it. If you don't have a knife or whatever, you know, but anyway, it's, it is an extra thing that you can, you can use in, in lots of different ways. And then um, number three was cow dung. And uh, out on the uh, out on the trail back in the old Western days, it used to be one of the kids' jobs to go out there and bring back uh, cow patties, and they were used for fuel rather than chopping. You know, it was hard to chop wood. It's easier to pick up cow dung, and cows are vegetarian, so they're chewing up grass, they're pooping it out, and that dries, and then when it dries, it creates this burnable material. Now, this is not going to, you know, go up in flames like, you know, like a barbecue with uh, with lighter fluid on it. But uh, it does have very, you know, dry grass in it. It will burn longer. So you can actually take this and put it in between grass. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's flammable enough that it can act as a very good tinder as a base material. And then you put the larger uh, twigs and the logs on top of it. So you want to kind of layer them in. What you're looking for is really dry uh cow dung so it's got to be able to crumble apart when you do it and i recommend you you go send the kids out to do this hey just tell them <laughs> this is this is what the kids used to do back in the western days here you go here's your gloves 
there, so there was dramatic. no PlayStation. So yeah, that's right. yeah. Don't they use don't they use camel dung in the desert for fuel because there's nothing else to burn? Did I read that somewhere? Well, it I mean, I guess it would apply. I've never I've not seen it, but um, it makes sense. I mean, especially you're out in the desert. I mean, what else? I don't know. What are they eating anyway? Well, I'm, I'm no expert in desert survival, which is why I'm not sure. But it, it seems like I remember reading somewhere that that camel dung could be used as fuel because you know it's not like there are trees. Right. Yeah. Well. So there you have it. Those are the uh, the uh, the three fire starting hacks. Um, there is a link on there for the free um, fire, uh, you know, survival lighters. Um, I've, I've got a bunch of these, and you know, they're probably one of the coolest things that's out there. Uh, they work really, really well. And um, anyway, I would suggest throwing a few of those in there too. I realize that I'm fighting the trend here, but I kind of hate that hack and life hack have passed into common parlance because really what we're talking about is, is tips and tricks. Like it's not really a, I hate that everybody uses the term hack when what they really mean is a tip. Well, you're see, such a, you know, you're such a purist that you're using the word parlance. And 99% of us are going to have to go out and look up that word to begin with. <laughs> I know. I know it's just me, but, but to me, a life hack is something like, did you know that you can, uh, open your blender, turn it on, put it on its side and have a handy room fan? You know, something you wouldn't <laughs> normally think of. And, and I don't know. I just, I, I dislike the term, but then back in the, in the early nineties when dinosaurs roamed the earth and they're like, Hey, you have email now. I'm like, I have what now? And, and they told me at my college that, you know, you get an email account. I spent a year and a half insisting on calling it the electronic mail because email is not <laughs> So I guess we know who lost that battle. Such a purist, yeah. <laughs> well, we are hacking, though. We're hacking the wilderness. We are right. hacking the tampon industry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, moving on to what do you know? <laughs> what do you know is our opportunity for uh, for Buck and I to go out and seek out information that we didn't know or that is news to us and and carry on those tips, tricks, and and stuff or news back to you. So, what did uh, what did you find out this week, Buck? Well, you know, we've been doing a lot of those freedom war topics, talking about the ways in which uh, your government surveils you, the ways in which. Uh, big business and and when I say big business, I don't mean that from a you know a, a commie North Korea you know socialist standpoint. What I'm saying is, it's a fact that you are being surveilled by a variety of entities, both public and private. Um, but there are other ways that this sort of network of big brother entities is trying to control not only you but the information that you consume. One of those is intergalactic search giant Google. Now, I use a lot of Google products because they're very uh, convenient and they work well. But the fact is that Google is probably one of the most evil corporations on the face of the earth. And Google announced recently that it wanted to change its search algorithm. This happens a lot. Google will change its search algorithm and upset people because Google is constantly fighting to stop you from gaming its system in order to better your results in its searches. Uh, and, and Google does not want you to do that. It does not want you manipulating its system uh, because it wants, you know, searches to be as accurate as possible, or so it says, whereas you want your stuff to show up in Google searches if you're a marketer or a business person. Well, Google announced recently that what it wants to do is change how it weights search results 
so that truth is factored into the equation. So instead of getting the most popular results when you type in a search term, getting the site that everyone goes to, Google wants to go, oh, but that site's wrong. That site's not true. So we're going to weight that much less than this other site that we think is actually truer. Now, immediately you see the problem. When somebody, an entity like Google, which is notoriously left-leaning, wants to decide the truth or falsehood of the ideas contained on a website, then not only is that wildly subjective, even if there isn't a political bias, but it's also the search engine is inserting itself into an ideological battle over an idea. And we see this in things like Wikipedia. Wikipedia is a terrible resource, and anyone who cites Wikipedia for anything that doesn't have to do with television shows is an idiot. And that, that's because since anybody can edit Wikipedia, uh, you never know the truth or falsehood of, of what you're seeing at that moment. But also, it is remarkably biased whenever there is room for subjectivity in the topic. And Wikipedia, when it, when it hit the news that it was such a shitty resource, tried to defend itself by saying, well, you know, our hard science articles are just as accurate as the Encyclopedia Britannica if you look at this measure. It's like, yes, the least subjective components of your encyclopedia, the ones that nobody can argue about because they're either true or false, happen to be largely correct. Good for you. But like, I was on Wikipedia the other day just looking up a reference, and somebody had gone through and edited it so that all of the synopsis for, like, this movie plot had been changed to gay stuff. Like, instead of, you know, these two guys meet these women in a bar and go back to their room, it was, these two guys meet these two gay gigolos and go back to a bar. And I'm watching the movie as I'm reading the synopsis going, oh, I see what happened here. Somebody edited this to make it gay because that's hilarious. Um, I, I digress slightly. The, the point is, <laughs> when when Google is going to decide what's true and what's false and they're going to apply their political lens, well, then right away, if you're one of these people who thinks that, you know, climate change is being used to condemn industry and that a lot of the, the information to back it up has been largely falsified, well, according to the left, you're a climate change denier and you're a very bad person. But also, you're wrong and false. So your website, no matter how popular it is, should not be seen in search results if, you know, Google doesn't agree with the truth, the, the truthiness of your, of your position. Uh, and in a world where we are inundated with information, where there's more information than any human being can possibly get through, the search engine is the gatekeeper. It's what enables you to find what you're looking for. And if Google decides it's going to bury you because it doesn't like your opinion, then that's a huge problem. So my what do you know this week is deeply disturbing because it shows the ways in which a corporation that controls how you access information can just decide what's true and what is false. Well, I think, I mean, let's go even broader than that because media is basically another, you know, it's, it, it's not news anymore. You know, it's, it's not, it's not investigative journalism for the truth anymore. It's, it's manipulating. It's the, you know, they're, they're media vampires and, you know, Fox News is obviously right leaning and they jade everything that they do based upon you know, how they want people to think, act, vote, spend money, you name it. Um, you can add in any sort of political lobbyist, anything. MSNBC is on the left side of that. So it all, you know, it all, um, you know, basically we realize that we've become a television society. 
you know, and we're an entertainment-based society. So we want to be entertained now, and so we all watch. So you started a Wikipedia rant. Now I'm going to start like a media rant. But it's like you, I, the people that I know that I think are mostly in the know, like, uh, you know, John Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute doesn't watch news at all. And, you know, so it's because he, he, you, when you, when you see the, the manipulation behind all, every single one of these, these, uh, media outlets, you realize that they are there for entertainment. They are there to get the eyes of the people who spend money for their advertisers because that's how they make money. You know, there's no altruistic meaning behind any of it all to actually give you the truth. It's, it's all opinion-based manipulation to get you to take an action of some sort. So, and I know this from knowing media outlet executives and people are there. It's, it's, you know, it's, I could go on and on. Nonetheless, thank you, Google, because you are one of the evil, you know, empires out there that is apparently, you know, I mean, look, that's what we use for, for seeking out information and they can control the information you see. So, anyway. All right. Rant Happy over. Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. <laughs> turn off your computers, turn off your televisions, go dig a hole and sit there <laughs> with your tampon. <laughs> Make a fire. Just slowly rocking back and forth with a tampon sticking out of your mouth like a cigar going, I just can't take it anymore. Okay. My, what do you know? Um, I had a couple of them. I'm going to choose one of them. So I was watching, uh, have you ever seen the show Vice on uh, HBO? Yeah. Really great show. I mean, that's, um, that's really, it's really interesting and it doesn't really necessarily give opinion and stuff. And I, I watched this one last week and it was about, um, the rise of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking, uh, the, um, shoot, like citizens that become, oh, militia. It's like the militia movement, okay? And it and it it definitely spiked after Obama's 2008 election was when it really brought people out. And uh, the, the the important part, so it it brought you through kind of some of the training. I mean, people are rising up in arms. They're they're getting the AR-15s. They're getting all camoed up. They're going to classes. They're learning how to to do raids and and defend themselves with with their AR-15s and take on the, uh, the federal government. Should we ever have to overthrow the, the, um, our government and, and take back the constitution of the United States? And there's a, there's a couple of things that I think were, were very interesting about this. Number one, you know, so small squad tactics versus a, an armored force with Apache helicopters. Have fun. I mean, you're basically going to die. You're, you know, the whole thing, you're, you'll pry my gun out of my cold, dead fingers. That is absolutely going to happen if you ever try to do something like that. You, so all this, unless you are all armored up in retaliation, you, you're not going to take on tanks and Apache aircraft. It's not going to happen. So, but here's, here's what I, here's going, going back into the freedom war thing. So I can tie this into what you were just talking about. Um, Muslims, you would think, are the uh, extremist Muslims. Uh, terror, would you, you would think would be a higher, highest on the terrorist watch list. I mean, we've got ISIS going on. We've got all this stuff happening. Um, domestically inside the United States, they are not listed by the FBI and, and the government as the top 
terrorist suspects or the top terrorist uh, watch groups. It's actually um, sovereign citizens, which is a domestic group um, tied into the militia movement. They're number one. Muslims, uh, extremist Muslim group is number two. And then there's another uh, U.S. militia that's listed as watch group number three. So of the top three terrorist groups that the government uh, that keeps the government up at night and they're watching, two of those are domestic U.S. based militia movements that are happening. So this is the reason why we have so much internal domestic spying going on, because they're, we're not worried about ISIS as much as we are the people who are taking up arms and saying, I'm going to take back the Constitution by any means necessary. And that's why, and putting everybody under scrutiny, everybody that owns a gun, everybody that searches for certain things on the Internet, it's the reason why the NSA and other agencies are spying on every single thing we do from your text messages, your phone calls, what you're searching for online, what you're watching online. And even how, you know, why the government can turn on uh, video cameras and microphones and use them for two-way listening inside the house. Now, that's not, that's not, you know, tinfoil hat conspiracy stuff. This was, this is all information that's been put out there by the, uh, by Department of Homeland Security, by the CIA. Capabilities are already there and it's already happening. And this is the reason why because they're turning sites inwards as the major threat is already here in the United States. Now, that affects everybody, whether you're in a militia movement or not, because the things you say, do, and now you could even say think, are are widely already, you know, being watched by the United States government. So um, I just, anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. And just to, to kind of tag on to that, the, the second story that was on that Vice episode was how we are overfishing our oceans so bad that basically we are not going to have food on the planet by the year 2050 or something like that. So oh, good. happy Friday, everybody. Go get your tampon, <laughs> build a fire, and die. Yeah, yeah, that's that's even more cheerful. That's, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Anyway, all right. Well, that kind of wraps up the uh, the Friday, the Happy Friday Reload podcast for uh, for this week. Um, definitely keep checking out our. our um, we've, we've been having a lot of activity on the on the podcast lately. A lot of great, um, a lot of great comments. A lot of uh, downloading there. In fact, we'll feature some of the comments next time when we uh, start the Friday Reload. But uh, but keep keep the comments coming in. Keep giving us those five star ratings and building us up. We're doing uh, really great in the standings right now in iTunes, and it's all because of you. So please keep those five-star ratings coming. Keep the great comments coming. We want to hear from you, and uh, and check out the check out the stuff we got coming up next week as well. I think we're going to do some more Freedom War type stuff. So anyway, um, until the next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson, and this is Buck. I'm terribly depressed now. Green, saying <laughs> train hard, stay safe, and prepare now. Thanks, everyone. Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. 
This has been Modern Combat and Survival.